As we start, I've been really looking forward. We had hoped to start this last Sunday, and, and we weren't able to do that, but been looking forward to this morning. Uh, one of the things that uh, many of you and I share in common is that I am very easily distracted. In fact, when I was a kid, why is that so funny? When I was a kid, I was diagnosed with hyperkinetic impulse disorder. I'm gray in the beard. That's why uh, this became known as attention deficit hyperactive disorder. So ADHD, both are considered, considered a mental disorder. I think I was the poster child for Ritalin. Uh, so what that means is you're listening to a guy with a diagnosed mental disorder with a mic on his face advising you uh, how to live. Uh, welcome to new life. Um, my mom's favorite description of me when I was growing up was a top. Uh, what she would say was, Settle down. You are spinning like a top. Uh, and the, the, the truth is, you never really grow out of uh, the ADHD, in my experience. The hyper part, it settles a little bit, but the distraction part never goes away. Uh, instead, you adapt the best that you can. So ironically, in some ways, I am super organized and planned, but in other ways, my brain and my life is just a whirlwind. I too easily get way too many plates personally and professionally spinning. And like some of you, be, being so easily distracted, I, I kind of, uh, I feel a deep pity and a compassion for my friends and for the people that have to work with me. Honestly, I've halfway joked that I should just wear a t-shirt that just says, I'm sorry, all the time. Uh, because I just spend most of my life feeling guilty because I, let, I drop balls and I let things fall through the cracks. And I just have this tendency to let others down. Uh, I've been known to get ahead of steam on something, on a plan, only to read another great book or another great idea and go, ooh, this is even better, so let's do this instead. In fact, I'm convinced that those that work closest to me, that the reason God put them in my life to work with me is because at one point, they prayed that God would give them patience. And God's like, all right, here you go. Let me introduce you to Chad. He's going to give you plenty of opportunity to learn patience. And, and the problem is, and, and many of you, you can relate to this, the things that I get distracted by are never as important as the things as I, that I get distracted from. I mean, isn't that true of you? I mean, the multiple things that can distract me, they're not bad. In fact, a lot of them are even marginally important, but they're never as important as the things that I get distracted from. Now, there are some areas and even some seasons of your life that it isn't that big of a deal to get distracted, but there are certain things and seasons that if you take your eye off the ball, you wake up three, five, ten years down the road, and you wonder, how, how did I get here? How did I make such a mess in this relationship? How did I get in such a mess financially? How did I end up here? I, I had another much better vision for my future. This is not what I envisioned. This was not what I had planned. And this is true under normal circumstances. But then along came 2020. And then January 1, 2021 did not magically flip a switch so that now everything is back to normal and everything is better. Uh, yesterday, a friend on, on social media posted the question, does moving affect happiness? In other words, she was asking, uh, basically saying, I'm unhappy, will moving make me happy? To which I responded, probably not, because wherever you go, there you are. And, and there you were, you were in 2020, and, and, and this just normal life, it, it just comes, comes with the distractions. And then we have 2020 enhanced distractions. But I don't want you or me to miss the chance, to miss a chance to have a new year 
that was better than the last, or to allow what feels urgent to distract you from what, from what is most important to you and maybe most important to your family in the season. Now, most of us hope for 2021 to be better than 2020, maybe better than 2019 or 2018. Maybe long before COVID, some of us, we were dealing with these patterns or these decisions that we had made, behaviors, that were things that we had said or done, said some words or behaviors that we don't want to repeat. Maybe some patterns of behavior that we want to change or that we want to break, and we want next time to be better than the last time. And with God's help, that can happen. So 2021 is a chance for each one of us to restart. And so that's the series that we're beginning today, Restart. And today, I want to help us restart by focusing on just one thing. Now, the one thing is going to be different for every single one of you and every, each of us. And to help you know what it is and what to do about it, we're going to look at a guy that many of you have heard of his name, and his name is Nehemiah. I've talked about Nehemiah before. Nehemiah was an ancient exile, a Jewish exile who lived in Persia. He was serving King Artaxerxes I, and the story takes place around 444 B.C. This was a time where Israel uh, and the area of Judah, they had lost their sovereignty as a nation for over 300 years. So for about 300 years, nations and armies, they would just kind of march back and forth through this, re this region and just take whatever they wanted from these Hebrews. It began with the Assyrians. They conquered the region, and the Babylonians came in, and they conquered the Assyrians, and they invaded the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed Solomon's temple. They carted off the best and the, be uh, the, best and the brightest to Babylon, which included the Fab Four, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. And then eventually Persia came in and conquered Babylon, and the Persian emperor, Cyrus the Great, he said to the Jews and the Hebrews, said, hey, if you want to go home, you're welcome to. Go home. So several thousands of Jews, they ended up going back to Jerusalem and Judea, the region, and though many others, uh, they ended up staying in Persia. Thousands stayed in Persia because it's all that they had ever known. This is where they grew up, and this was their home. So the nation was essentially spread out and divided. The exiles went back to the city of Jerusalem, and they found it in complete disarray. The walls were destroyed, the, the gates were burned, the temple had, uh, had not been rebuilt, and things were just brutally tough. So they just did their best to pull it together. They rebuilt the temple, but it was kind of a, an econo temple. But the people that had been there to see the original temple, when they saw the new temple, were told that they wept. They wept because it was just so anemic compared to the great temple that had been there before. Economically, things were bad. Militarily, things were bad. It was open season on the Jews living in the area. And then this goes on for about 90 years when our story begins to pick up. Now, most of Nehemiah's family never left Persia. So as a result, they grew influential. They grew somewhat wealthy. Nehemiah became one of the most trusted uh, members of the court of the king. He became the cupbearer. And it's during this time that his brother, who lived in Judea, came back with kind of an entourage to come and visit his brother. And Nehemiah, he asked this entourage from Judea, hey, how are things going? And they said to me, the remnant in the province who survived the exile, these people that went back, they've been there back for over 100 years, they're in great trouble and they're in disgrace. Jerusalem's wall has been broken down. Its gates have been burned down. So here's the capital city. It, the, it, the, the wall's in shambles. There's no gate. And when there's no wall and there's no gate, this is dangerous, in a, especially in a capital city, and it's degrading. It's humiliating. 
Uh, I don't know uh, if growing up, if any of you, your parents took the door off your bedroom. Did any of you ever have, ever have, have this happen? Okay, you had good, healthy parents. Uh, you know, so some of you home, you did that. Or maybe you did this with your kids, like you're just taking it out. And it's just a terrible experience if you're a kid, especially if you're a teenager. It's like when you can't close your door, you can't close out the adults. If you have siblings, oh, can't close out your brothers or sisters. If people come over, you feel embarrassed, you feel exposed. It's like you just don't really have a space and a place that's truly yours where you feel safe. And so in, in a micro way, this kind of represents what the city of Jerusalem and the whole city was like for its people. It's like they couldn't keep people out. They couldn't protect themselves. They're constantly exposed. And Nehemiah writes, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept. I mourned for a number of days, fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I mean, this so broke Nehemiah's heart that he just couldn't get it out of his mind. He began to pray for wisdom, and then he did something that was actually very, very gutsy, and it could have ended very badly. One day he goes in to serve the king, and uh, this is the most powerful person in the world at the time. It was a ruthless nation. The king senses something with Nehemiah, and so he says, hey, Nehemiah, what's wrong? And again, this was gutsy because in those days, in this culture, you were always happy around the king. You don't bring the king any bad news. But Artaxerxes, he notices, he says, he says, why are you sad when you're not sick? This is nothing more but sadness of the heart, or the literal translation is depression. And Nehemiah says, my people are in such bad shape back in Judea. The city where my ancestors are buried, it lies in ruins. The gates have been destroyed by fire. And he just tells the king the whole story. And amazingly, the king listens. And then he asks, what would you like me, what would you like to do? And Nehemiah says, could I have a little PTO? Actually, could I have a lot? Could I have a lot of paid time off? Could I leave your service and go back and help my people? And the Persian king says, no problem. In fact, I'm going to make you the governor. Because Judea was a vassal state. So basically, they were under the authority of Persia. They had to do whatever they said, and they paid tons of money in taxes. So the king says, I'm going to make you the governor. I'm going to give you all the resources you need to go back and resurrect and help the city. And of course, this is a huge answer to prayer. So Nehemiah gathers all the resources. He gathers this caravan. He gathers all this equipment and wealth. He gets letters from the king that are give, going to give him safe passage through very hostile areas. And uh, he gets to the city some weeks later, and it is far worse than he imagined. The people are absolutely depressed. The, the economy is trash. The areas where there, there are supposed to be crops, they're overgrown by trees. There's no military. All the surrounding people are just constantly coming in and raiding and taking advantage of all these people, all these Hebrew people, and basically everything is bad. So one night he gets some people together, he goes out, he does some reconnaissance of the entire wall all around the city. He takes notes, and then he pulls the leaders together because he is now the governor. He's been given authority. They have to do whatever he says. But then he casts this incredible vision and basically he says, hey, here's the problem. Here's the solution. Here's why we need to do something, and here's why we need to do something now. And this is one of the best examples of just visionary leadership for anyone. And then he does something that's genius. He assigns every family a place on the wall to work that is closest to where they live. So this was so brilliant. He gives work assignments to everyone. He sends them to go work on the wall around the city, and eventually he, uh, to create gates to bring back the self-esteem and the protection for the people. Well, this is good news 
This is good news if you're a Hebrew who lived in or around Jerusalem, but this was not good news for the leaders of, of, the, of the tribes and the people around them because everybody in the surrounding regions have been taking advantage of the city of Jerusalem and the people of Judea, and they felt threatened because a walled city is a military threat. So they began to intimidate the workers. Then they began to attack the workers. And then they began to attack the family members of the workers that were working. So Nehemiah had to pause the work. He he had to uh, bring everybody into the city, get them settled, and then he armed all of the workers. And so, so some people would guard while other people worked. And it was just so stressful and so overwhelming. But day after day after day, the work continued. Now, the ringleader of the opposition rebuilding the wall was a man named Sam Ballot. Sam Ballot didn't like this at all. He got desperate because other people had tried to rebuild the wall, but with just a little bit of intimidation, they would just give up and just leave the whole project. But this Nehemiah guy, it became clear that he was fully committed to getting this done. So Sam Ballot decides that the only way to stop him is to kill him. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshub, and the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and no gap was left in it, though at that time I had not installed the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Hey, let's get together. Let's have lunch. Let's get together for some coffee or grab a beer and chat. Bit of a paraphrase. But this is his basic meaning, okay? We've, we've been at odds. Come, let us meet together in the villages of, of the Ono Valley but they were planning to harm me. They wanted to get him off the wall, they wanted to get him isolated, and they wanted to murder him. And Nehemiah knew this. So he says, I sent messengers to them. And what follows is a statement that could be a game changer for you in 2021. It's portable, it's memorable, it's a statement that adapts and applies to every situation and season in your life, and it becomes something incredibly clarifying. Now, for context, when Nehemiah gave out all these job assignments, he gave himself one as well. He wasn't going to ask people to do something he wasn't willing to do himself. And even though he was governor, he got out every day and he worked on the wall. So when the messengers from Sanballat come and they showed up, say, hey, we want to have a meeting, Nehemiah is literally physically up on the wall working on the gates. So the messenger gets there, looks up at him, says, hey, these three leaders, they want to have a get-together and clear the air. And rather than come down, Nehemiah stays up on the wall, and he's looking down, and he says, okay, take this message back to Sam Ballot. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. So I'm going to ask you to do something maybe a little uncomfortable, but this is important. We'll do it all together. I'd like for all of us to say this out loud, even if you're watching alone at home, and just repeat this after me. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. One more time. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. You said that was such conviction. Now, now think of it for just a minute. As, as, as we restart, as you restart, in this new year, what is the most, what is most important to you in your life right now? What is most important to you in your life right now? What is most important? Maybe the question is who? Who is most important to you right now? 
What or who is most important right now? What or who is that very important wall in your life that you need to begin working on because it's in a condition that not the condition it should be in. It needs your focused time. It needs your focused effort. And with that in mind, how powerful are these words then? I am doing a great work. It cannot come down. Now I want you to think, what is your biggest distraction? What is the biggest distraction from the thing that is most important in your life? Is it a hobby? Is it a debt? Is it working too many hours? Is it too much screen time? Is it too much time on social media? Is it, is it something in your life that you hide from others that you know in your gut is not what your Heavenly Father wants for you or wants to, wants to be part of your life? You'd say, as a follower of Christ, it's a sin. I'll just call it what it is. It's, it's a sin, but you can't seem to break the pattern. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's some, but something, something is the biggest, the biggest distraction from the most important thing or things that God has in your life or the people in your life. And there's just so much application to what he asked next as it relates to all of us. And this, this is a question that I think you should ask because it will contextualize it for you in your life. He asked, why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Literally, physically. And the optics of this are just so powerful because he's looking down. Why should I stop what I'm doing up here and come down to you? I'm up here what's doing most important to me that will make the most difference to the people who are most important to me. Why would I lower myself to do something and come down and do something of less importance? And that's a great question. Why would you do that? Why, why would I do that? Like Nehemiah, near, nearly all of us know what is most important, who is most important, and what's urgent. We know what needs to change. We know what needs to get better. Most of us know in our hearts what God wants us to do in our personal lives, our family lives, our, our dating, or our academic lives. Whatever it might be, we know, but it's so easy to get distracted. And again, I'm with you. I'm as easily distracted as anybody. So that's why this is so important to all of us as we restart in this new year to ask, why would I come down from what's most important to to me? Why would you, like in Nehemiah's case, step down from something important, maybe the work that you know that God has called you to do, to do something less. So they go back and they tell Sam Ballot, he says he's not coming, but they're determined to get him off the wall, so they send messengers back again and again, trying to wear him down. He tells us four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Hey, what about next weekend? How about the weekend after that? How about two weeks from now, or maybe next Thursday? And Nehemiah, just find an opening on your calendar and let us know. We're, we're flexible, but this was not a scheduling conflict. And for somebody here, like, this is what you needed to hear. This was not a scheduling conflict. This was a priority conflict. I, of anyone, knows there is always time to put the wrong thing in your calendar. 
There is always time to chase after, get sucked into the daily distractions that are all around us, especially those of us who started having to work from home. It's amazing how distracted we could get at home. Like, oh, maybe I'll put up these dishes, and then I'll clean this, and then I'll do this, and suddenly you need a nap. You don't get anything done. And so we just all understand this. We can always find time to squeeze in the thing that takes away from or subtracts from what's most important. But Nehemiah was so smart, he didn't need to check his calendar because he'd already decided what was most important. And he would not allow himself to be distracted for even a minute from what was most important for him and for his people, for him to do, in order to do something that was not what he felt God was calling him to do. Four times they sent messengers, and four times I sent back the same reply. And what was his answer? I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down. I told you the first time. I told you the second time. I told you the third time. The answer's not going to change. You need it a fourth time. I'm not coming down. Now, in our day-to-day lives, in our seasons of life, there are season-specific no's. For example, uh, when our kids were young and they were growing up, there were just certain things that we said no to. There were just certain categories of things that we said no to, not because we couldn't find time on our calendar. We don't do these things right now because it's not the right time. And and through each season of life, the list has changed. So so some of you, if not every one of you, uh, there there are just going to be things in your life that fall in the category of no for now, but not forever. No for now, but not for our. In this season, we just don't do that. We don't say yes. We don't participate. We don't go. We don't uh, participate in that career or that social or that hobby opportunity. Yes, we could pick up more hours. Yes, I, I could do that. I could force it in. I could make more money. I could go to more events. Uh, there are just certain things uh, that, that I could do, but not now. These aren't bad or wrong things. They're just time-consuming things. So you just say, in this particular season... And just we want to give our maximum or even our undivided attention to the things of the people that matter most, that need the most of us right now in this season. If you're a student, you need a no for now, but not forever list. If you're a newlywed, you need a no for now, but not forever list. If, if you're a young married, you're married, you're raising kids, you need a not, no for now, but not forever and then when they're teenagers and they get in high school, the list changes. But, but there have to, be, have to be some things that in order to focus on and to get done the things that you need to done, you need to prioritize what needs to be prioritized. And to say no, or to say no for now, now in this season. You have to pre-decide. And within the context of Nehemiah's story, if he had said yes to this invitation, they would have killed him. Now, even though the results aren't as extreme with you and me, there's a parallel. Though I will say in the area of physical health, there's a, there are certain behaviors and patterns that we can keep putting off and putting off. And just so you know, they will kill you or make your life pretty miserable in later years. But there are certain hobbies, certain social and career and recreational opportunities, certain things that take you away in your mind, your body, and your spirit from the things and the people in your life that matter most. And if you continue to say yes to certain things in certain seasons, it's going to kill your chances. It's going to kill your chances of experiencing a future that you envision for yourself relationally with a spouse or with your kids or with your friends or your family. 
It's, it's going to kill the, the, your chances for the future you envision or hope for yourself financially, your health, your mental health, your relationship with God. It, it may destroy or undermine or kill the, the opportunity of a lifetime that's going to come down the road, but you're not going to be ready because you got distracted. So parents, every night when you're tucking your kids in or when they get to go back to school again or they're coming in from middle school or high school, you just need to look at them and say to yourself, not them, because you'll weird them out. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. When you're given those opportunities to travel or work all those extra hours in that overtime, you look at that lock screen picture of, of your spouse or your kids or your family or your wife, and you just need to look at that picture and go, I'm doing a great work. Cannot come down. Wives, some of you married him because you thought, I can fix him. And you have a lot of work still to do, like so much potential. But you need to look at your husband, look at your family, look at, look at everything around you, what's going on, and say to yourself, I'm, I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down. Singles, you, you need to figure out your preferred, preferred future and then decide what is the most direct route to my preferred future. Because you have a picture of what you want your future to look like. Don't, don't get distracted. High school students, what is the most direct route to your preferred future? Don't get distracted. Don't trade ultimate for immediate. Because you're writing the story of your life. You are writing the story of your life. And every decision you make, and every time you prioritize correctly, you're writing a story that you want to tell or that you want told about you. Well, Nehemiah's enemies are relentless. He told them no and no, but they don't give up. So they decide, we're going to start a rumor about him. And we're going to start rumors. And the reason, the reason Nehemiah is fixing up the city and trying to build the gates is because he's trying to establish himself as king and Israel as a superpower again. And so they're spreading this rumor. They're going to, he's going to rebel against Persia. And so they start this rumor hoping that it's going to get back to the king and the king's going to pull him back or that Nehemiah will hear about this, and then he's going to get distracted because then he's going to have to make time to try and quell and dis def defend himself against these rumors. But instead, Nehemiah ignores the rumors because he's so smart and he's so focused. And some of us have learned the hard way. Criticism can be such a distraction, can it? Criticism can be such a distraction, especially in a time where everyone's a critic. And I love you all, but some of you... Critics, there are people in your life, everyone, everyone, and now everybody can criticize you through text message, through messaging, and on social, publicly on social media, and criticism can get you off center. It can distract you, I know. It can be a time stealer as you're trying to chase down and respond to all of your critics and everything that they're saying. Nehemiah just completely ignores them. And when that didn't work, they sent a message. Hey, Nehemiah, there's a plot in the city. They're going to come and assassinate you when you least expect it. You need to flee to the temple because there was this Jewish law that if you went into the temple and you clung to the altar that they couldn't arrest you. But this was their way of trying to trick Nehemiah into acting and looking guilty when he wasn't and to look like a coward of some sort. Nehemiah ignores that at well. The text continues. The wall was completed on the 25th of Elul. In 52 days, when all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. Why? Because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. And one of the coolest things about the book of Nehemiah, no miracles. 
There's nothing overtly supernatural, and it makes it just kind of like the day-to-day lives that you and I live, right? The day-to-day lives that we experience, the day-to-day criticisms that we experience, the day-to-day distractions we all experience. So no miracles. There was just this dedication to hard work, this dedication to hard work one day after the other. There's good leadership. There's confidence that God has called us to do something, and we're going to do what He's called us to do. And there was success because they stayed focused. So here's my question for you as you restart in this new year and begin a new season. As you think about your future, as you think about what's most important to you, what is your wall? What is your wall? What is the thing or who is the person that you need to give devoted attention to that you dare not come down from until the work is done? Who, who or what is the wall that you need to begin and you've been putting it off? What is the thing that you have to stay focused on until it changes or it's restored, whether it's all year or possibly beginning the season of your life? Maybe it's a habit that you uh, finally need to break. Maybe it's a habit you finally need to start. Maybe it's a relationship that you need to rebuild and reconcile. And every time you hear me or somebody else talk about restoring a relationship, you think in your heart, yeah, I need to do that. It's important, but it's never urgent, and it never gets done. For some of you, and I really, really hope, if you've you've been shopping on Amazon or dozing, I want your attention on this. For some of you, the wall that you need to work on requires professional counseling. And I'm not kidding about that. I've been with my wife for over 32 years, thanks to God and professional counselors. And so you come up with a million excuses. You come up with a million excuses and distractions as to why you don't get counseling. It won't do any good. What good is it talking? What is it going to do? I don't want to put all my junk or all our junk out there. I'm a private person. Okay, I'm a private person. I mean, there's nothing that can be done. Things are too broken when the reality is you're afraid. You're afraid. Maybe, maybe you're simple, simply bitter. Maybe you're bitter towards someone. You're afraid if I do anything... It might mean that I have to change or something has to change because you feel justified in your bitterness. And to do anything else feels like sending, letting somebody who hurts you off the hook. And you're afraid of letting them off the hook. Maybe you're afraid because your personal brokenness or the problem or the problems seem so overwhelming to you. You go, why try? Like, where would I even possibly begin? I can't afford the years of counseling it's going to take. And you're like Nehemiah, where again, the day that he actually arrived on the scene, it was far worse than what he thought it was, what he had imagined, and yet he accomplished the impossible. And how did he do that? Well, the first thing is he didn't do it alone. And then he did it one stone at a time. And it didn't happen overnight. And with God's help, it happened over time because he was determined to put in the work, to put in the effort, and stayed laser-focused on his wall day after day after day. And he could have easily given into fear 
and given in to hopelessness and the enormity of the task and all the excuses as to why it's too hard, it's too big, maybe even impossible. And some of you, and I'm not trying to be harsh, I'm just saying, it's time to stop coming up with excuses and distractions that you use as justifications to put off doing the hard work and getting the help that you need to work on your wall, your addiction wall, your relationship wall, your financial wall, your marriage wall, your victim of abuse wall, your divorce recovery wall. You need to make an appointment and you need to simply start. I've got some great referrals. And maybe it's to break that habit. Maybe it's to break that addiction that has just held you captive for so long. Or it's time to face head on the wounds from your past, the brokenness in your marriage or your relationships that you just ignore. And it's slowly festering. Or maybe it's as a parent with your kids and you're struggling to be a good parent or it's dealing with your adult children but it's time to start. Start where? With the first stone. And then you just keep repeating to yourself one day at a time, one week at a time, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Maybe restoring that relationship or it's time to forgive somebody that you need to forgive or position yourself to where they can forgive you. Maybe it's ridding yourself of debt. Maybe it's a degree that you need to complete. I don't know what your wall is for you, but you do. And you need to clearly identify what are the distractions. What's distracting me? Because you know the answer to that too. You know what needs to be done and what you need to focus on. And you can look at your calendar or your daily routines and the patterns you're in and you know what's distracting you. What are the distractions and the obstacles that you need to remove? Last year, my wife and I got rid of cable. And I'm not against television. But for us, it was a distraction. And in some ways, for us, it started to, be, started to become toxic. What do you need to eliminate? There, there are some things in your life that it's time. You just need to totally eliminate. And maybe they're not big things. It's the accumulation of little things. What are some things that you may, maybe need to go, okay, you know what? I've been saying yes to this, but no for now, not forever. And then here's a difficult question. Who do you need to eliminate? I am not talking literal. So if all the lawyers in the house. Uh, who do you need to eliminate? But I'm serious. Who is it? Who do you need to eliminate out of your life? Who's holding you back? Who, who they are an obstacle to what's most important because they're just not a good influence for you. And it's not about some people are worse than other people, but at this season of your life, they're just not helping you get there. Years ago when our kids were young, I became friends with a guy that he was my age, but because of his smarts and, and, and career path, he was actually semi, he was pretty much retired. So he had loads of money, loads of free time, lots of options. He wanted to hang out. He had fun toys. I liked hanging out with him. We, he wanted to work out and do things together a lot, which at first was awesome, but I soon realized I just simply didn't have the level of expendable time that he had. And, 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 and it started to become a little bit toxic because of the expectations that he had on me as, as his friend. And like there was a little part of me, I almost felt like a teenager, like it's not me, it's you. Uh, just going and having this conversation where I just had to say, listen, I'm, I'm just not at the place that you're at in my, in my life right now. And so I just need to kind of take a break from this. 
And for some of you, maybe it doesn't look exactly like that, but in this season of your life, someone is an obstacle for you. And let me say something to high schoolers and our college students that, that, that listen. Your parents have an insight and an intuition about your friends that you lack. And it isn't because you're not smart. It's, you lack it because you're in your teens and your 20s, and they've lived a lot longer than you. So it's just experience, and some of it they learned the hard way. And when somebody you respect, somebody who loves you, has no other agenda but for you to experience your own preferred future says to you, I, I think this person's going to undermine your future. I think this person has a negative impact on you. You need to listen because you're at a critical season of life. You're making decisions that are going to decide where you end up because, as I've said before, direction, not intention, determines your destiny. So there may be someone or some things that just during the season you need to back off from because they're not going to get you to where you ultimately want to be. You have a great work to do. You have a story to write, and I know you want to write a good one just like I do. And you're writing it every single day, decision by decision by decision. So one more time, all together, repeat, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. And for most of you, somebody else is also depending on you to stay focused on your wall and your great work. So there are many things that you could do and can do and will do in 2021, but what is the one thing you must do this year? What is your wall? And are you willing to stay on it until the task is completed? You are doing a great work, so don't come down. Let me pray for us. Father, I, I pray for every one of us, everyone listening to my voice. I pray for myself. There's, there's that thing that we need to address. And we're going to, we can't do it without your help, just like Nehemiah. Because for some of us, it just it seems so big and so impossible. But God, I pray that by your Spirit, you would give us that confidence in our heart that if we are willing to submit to you and trust you, that you will show up in unmistakable ways that we may not even realize until once we're on the other side. But God, I pray for every man and woman and young person listening to my voice that you would help them to identify that thing or that person, that you'll give them the wisdom and, and, and determination that doesn't just go away two, three weeks from now or February but that, God, you will just stick this deep into their heart and their mind. and that Father, you will lead them through to something awesome on the other side. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.